Welcome to the Media Mavens Podcast. This is the podcast where you'll find the latest and greatest trends, topics, and tribulations with industry leaders. And now, here is your host, the CEO of Access Entertainment and the Media Excellence Awards, the original media maven herself, Sarah Miller. Hi, this is Sarah Miller, CEO of Access Entertainment and your host for Media Mavens Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Joe Pirates, sportscaster, great guy, voice of God, and um, public affairs. How's that for an intro, Joe? That is good. Considering we had rain in Arizona this week, that is amazing. Ah, you're still my voice of God for everything. It's so awesome. We're in holiday mode. And I'm so excited just given the holidays and everything. I want to bring our guest on and kind of catch the chase. Zoltan Istvan, he is a public figure in the transhumanist movement. Zoltan, welcome to the Media Mavens podcast. Thank you so much for having me on. I hope I didn't screw up your name too much, so I apologize in advance for that. But I love that. Where are you from? You're from, you're, I know you're American-Hungarian, but where are you from? Well, um, I live in San Francisco. I was born in Los Angeles, but I do have a dual citizenship, so my all my blood is from Hungary, and I am also a passport holder there as well. As awesome. Okay, now I'm impressed. You had me at international. So it's so funny because I know you've had a background in politics. Uh, you have some companies, but you've been a public leader globally for the transhumanist movement. And I kind of went down the road and I kind of adapted that with AI and artificial intelligence, but I'm probably so far off base on what I'm thinking transhumanist is. Give us a little bit of background of what it is and how you got to this point. Well, sure. You know, transhumanism is an international social movement now of many millions of people around the world that want to use science and technology to radically modify the human experience and also to uh, modify the human being in itself. It can be anything from brain implants to exoskeleton suits for the disabled. Uh, It can be even things like flying cars, but really mostly it deals with the human body and how we're sort of slowly replacing that with machine parts or going to replace that with machine parts. So you're kind of going down the same vein as AI right now, the artificial intelligence and all the um, things that were created on the innovation side of technology, right? Well, yeah, I would say AI is probably the biggest force in transhumanism. And we, uh, most transhumanists would say we hope to connect our brains directly to artificial intelligence one day, making us tremendously more intelligent. I have never connected AI to like, because we're a tech PR firm. So the transhumanist movement, I haven't heard that word in the same sense as AI until now with you. So it's interesting. And you've been doing this for how long? Like, how did you get, because you went from politics and technology to, I mean, I guess AI is just a different term for it, right? Well, sure. You know, I actually began my career in National Geographic as a journalist. And so that kind of gave me, uh, uh, you know, my my foot was in the media door. And I wrote a novel called The Transhumanist Wager, which was all about the movement of transhumanism in my uh early 30s. And, uh, you know, it went on to do really well, become a bestseller and all that. And it kind of launched my career as a public figure in the transhumanist movement. But one thing the transhumanist movement has always been lacking is it's uh, a political angle to it. So I formed the transhumanist party. I was its first presidential nominee in 2016, and then later ran for governor of California in 2018, and then for the presidency again in 2020. And while my Political campaigns haven't really ever been aimed at winning because we never had that chance. We have been making an enormous amount of media. Uh, you know, we got 100 million views in some of these campaigns. And, you know, so we spread transhumanism that way. We spread artificial intelligence that way. We, we familiarize people with these concepts, which are sort of scary to a lot of them if you, if you haven't heard it before. And then we try to make it a little bit more palpable. 
people are also afraid of AI. I mean, it's a new technology. We use AI with so much stuff to save lives. And they just think, oh, we're going to be replaced by computers and robots. I mean, it's just such a big disconnect there. But you kind of got me pulling back here a little bit. I know you were running for governor up in a while ago. President, you mean like as in for 2021, like this past presidential? I'm not beholden to any parties, except maybe the transhumanist party. But even that I wasn't. So I ran for governor as a libertarian. I ran directly against Trump in the Republican primary in 2020. My goal was to try to introduce Republicans to, you know, to, to transhumanism. They're mostly anti-science, it appears. And maybe in 2024, I'll run for the Democrats. But my goal is not about politics. It's about having a candidate that believes in the scientific method as the primary motivation for how he would govern. And that's really what I do. And a lot of people have never heard these ideas. And then they start thinking, wow, maybe we ought to incorporate a little bit more scientific thought into our message. And that's how this movement has been I grown. I love that you literally put your name on the docket for this year and the races, how it's ugly as they were. I love that you just did. I mean, great. Come on, let's be honest. It was great PR. It was great PR no matter what. So you use the system to your advantage. But I love that you did that. I had no idea. Yeah, no. I mean, how was that? How did that? I mean, let's be honest, because people don't adapt to science and COVID's all about science and math right now. How did it feel when you're like, OK, we all saw the whole joke with Kanye West trying to run for president. But like and I know you're wearing a biohacking T-shirt, so I know you're very tech savvy right now. How did it feel to say, OK, I'm going to throw my my hat in the ring on this one. Well, you know, I think what you have to understand up front is if you think you're going to win, you're going to be very disappointed. And if you think you're going to gain a huge amount of campaign dollars, you're going to be very disappointed. I run on a lean budget. My staff and I know that this is for spreading the news. We got six in the Republican primaries overall, so it wasn't bad. We did very well in places like Colorado and even in Oklahoma, places that had never really, at least Oklahoma, that had never really seen somebody campaigning on science and technology. I mean, for example, in the debates between Biden and Trump, you didn't hear about artificial intelligence. You didn't hear about uh, genetic editing. And yet these are some of the most important topics that are coming down the pipeline for humanity right now. And the fact that we don't have our leaders really discussing them in depth is, is sad for me. So I do my best to try to bring him up no matter where I campaign, no matter what speech I give, and no matter what interview I do. And we have small <laughs> rallies, maybe 20 people max, maybe sometimes bigger, but that's the nature of trying to do something what I'm doing, which is odd, but effective in a, in a, in a small way. Sultan, can I yeah, ask a question? I have so much. I, have so much I want let me, to let me stick my nose yeah. in here. <laughs> Have you heard of the All of Us uh, research program, Zoltan, regarding uh, the genomics research that they're doing? You know, I, I know it by name, but I don't know, unfortunately, anything about it. So wait, what is it, Joe? What tell us what is it? The All of Us research program is run by the National Institutes of Health. And basically what they're trying to do is get a million people to voluntarily give over a DNA sample. And what they'll do is they consider it uh, to be research towards goals of developing personalized medicine, individualized medicine to everyone. I mean, that's that's their goal. Now, getting a million, that's going to be a big research sample. So that's I was just wondering if you knew knew anything about that, because that seems like they're on the same path that you are right now, Zoltan. Yeah, no, there are many, many amazing programs out there. You know, I've done some consulting with the United States military and, you know, watched a whole bunch of things with DARPA because I've been as, as well a journalist through a lot of what I've been doing. And um, 
the amount of little programs out there and big ones are just amazing. And frankly, people, they go underneath the carpet, but they are changing the world. And it only takes one or two of them to really emerge out. And all of a sudden, like, you know, for example, Obama gave $70 million to brainwave science. And that has really paid dividends in the sense that now, seven, eight years later, there are numerous companies in Silicon Valley that are dedicated specifically to brainwave technology, including Elon Musk's Neuralink. So, you know, it was a good time seven, eight years ago for the government to actually step in and start thinking, how can we, and, and you know, brainwave science can do things like eliminate Alzheimer's and stop Parkinson attacks and things like that. And so it's important that these little things take place. And they're, like I said, they're not necessarily little things if it's a million people giving their DNA. Right. When you talk about the transhumanist movement, are you looking, I mean, especially now with a change in administration, because I imagine when you ran for president as a Republican, the hardest people to reach in your campaign were probably the evangelicals. A lot of them, and I'm not trying to generalize them, but I know a lot of them would not like this one bit because they they believe in another another way. But with a new administration coming in here, do you think you'll have more chance to make those medical progresses? Yes. Well, I, I have no doubt that uh, transhumanism will thrive further under Biden, at least at the government level. That said, you know, the, the irony is, though, it transhumanism did very well under Trump because the private sector did so well. So you have companies like Google and Apple investing millions of dollars, you know, billions of dollars into artificial intelligence, Facebook investing into brainwave technology, you know, exoskeletal technology for military. And a third of uh, Americans have mobility issues. So when you have exoskeleton suits to put on, all of a sudden you get older people out of wheelchairs. So transhumanism moves forward in a lot of different ways. But I think largely speaking, we're encouraged with Biden in terms of just the cultural side of it. Because as you said, it can scare religious people to, to think, oh, we're becoming machines or we're changing our body or designer babies. Whereas I think, you know, liberals have tend to be a little bit more like, hey, science is okay. It's not out the harness. Yes, transhumanism sounds weird, but if we can help alleviate suffering from humanity, then let's move forward. And really, transhumanism really is about eliminating suffering for humanity through science and technology. Why, why not? I mean, my big issue, I mean, I think is I'm very biased for technology because, you know, we're an age of PR firm. We're all tech driven. You know, we run in a tech awards. I, so I'm all about evolving a technology, adapting to new technology. People need to adapt. I don't think Trump was ever a tech savvy person short of Twitter, which was a nightmare in itself. But I think, you know, we have to adapt to new technologies. It's just from science, math, everyday cars, auto connect, lifestyle we have to constantly evolve. The technology is getting so much savvier. And there's so many things that come into the market that, you know, and I ran into a few times at events and because they were talking about AR and VR years ago, and they're finally now caught up. They're talking, you know, right now, the whole Bitcoin crypto surge, but then COVID, but that will catch up. AI started about two or three years ago. It was still kind of a scary, another techie. Now it's finally, you know, taking roots and growing why not use AI, artificial intelligence, in the messaging versus transhumanist behavior? Because as Joe said, you got a lot of these people that are afraid of tech. They're just, they don't know what it is. But artificial intelligence is just an easier thing, I think, to adapt, to accept when you're out there on a the And you're a public leader. You're a public speaker. So is your pushback going to be because transhumanist Behavior is an odd word, or do you think using AI and delving into the artificial intelligence 
on a more layman's term, may get a bigger following or adoption of users and support? Well, I really think it, it, a lot of my messaging has to do with demographics. When I'm dealing with older people, I really specifically focus on longevity because it tends a lot, a lot of older people are like, wow, you know, life's nice and I don't want to leave it. How can you make me live longer? When I deal with younger people, they have no concept of longevity because they think they're, you know, they're just so young. They never thought about death in their lives. So they just want cyborg parts. They want robotic arms that can throw a football a mile long. And I think when you deal with scientists and engineer, which I, I do with a lot, that's when AI really is the 800-pound gorilla in the room. But we have done some really funny, I guess, communication techniques. For example, IBM had been working with, there had been some kind of rumors that IBM was going to run Watson one day as a presidential candidate. And so we went out there and said, we want to debate Watson. We'll be the very first candidate to do so. And of course, all the media cover started began, began covering that. And all of a sudden, IBM really realized this wasn't... Um, uh, uh, something to do just yet. It was more of a fun thing that some of the engineers at the company had thrown out. But yeah. that said, it made a huge news cycle and it got people thinking about an artificial intelligence as a president someday. And of course, there's no question in 20 or 30 years, well, maybe it's, we're not sure about exactly how long, but sometime in this century, there will be a machine intelligence that's probably more moral, that's probably smarter, that's probably going to be maybe more just than any human being on planet Earth. And should we incorporate that kind of intelligence into a leadership position? Let's say really is a better, a better kind of living consciousness. And the answer is probably yes, but that's bizarre. I mean, when you think about Biden running versus Trump, well, now we have a robot running. I mean, and these that's are some it. of the yeah, these are some of the messaging techniques that get people thinking about it on a populist level, on a cultural level. But it also is kind of fun in a Hollywood sense. So, you know, we, we play around these kind of things all day long because scientists already know about AI. So do all the engineers. But when I do a lot of my campaigning in the middle of the country, like when I went to New Hampshire and places like that, you know, in Iowa, they really are hearing these things for the first time. Well, I actually I think. You're on the same page as Gene Roddenberry was with improving the human condition in Star Trek. I, when was the first time you really heard of transhumanism? And was that as a reporter for National Geographic? No, actually, when I was a student at Columbia University, there was an essay, I believe, in Time magazine on cryonics. And I was a, just a, a freshman in an English class, and we had to read it and then write an essay. And I, as soon as I read it, I thought, my God, there's a movement that is dedicated to overcoming death. Cryonics is when you freeze people and hope to bring back in the future. And then I started looking into it, and I, lo and behold, there was actually, you know, for 10, 20 years already, an existing movement. And so it's the same movement, whether it's cryonics, whether it's singletarianism, whether it's life extension, whether it's biohacking, it's all under the same kind of umbrella of transhumanism. And once I knew there was a movement out there, I really joined it, began getting involved in it, wrote my novel about it. And um, But I think it's just discovering that there are people out there like myself that would prefer to overcome biological death with science and technology and have made it their life goal. Yeah. And I was going to ask so funny because it segues into because I know you wrote a book, The Transhumanist Wager. And that just came out like two years ago, right? You know, it's been the out about or... a while now, about six years. Okay. So, but it, okay. it goes through these cycles, thankfully. <laughs> yeah. So what, what was that book? Are you looking at another book now that we've evolved so much in technology as a follow up or? So 
what has happened is book writing has also changed as well as media over the last 20 years. And of course, I've been, you know, in it now for 20 years, but I've been doing a lot of opinion essays, about 230 opinion essays over the last six years. My Most of my last essays have been for the New York Times opinion section. So I got to write on like the Cyborg Olympics that's coming up was one of the last ones, as well as like Chip and Plants. I find that writing actually as a journalist in opinion places probably gets more leverage than books. So I'm not sure when I'll be doing another major book. Because sometimes you write an opinion piece and you get a million views, probably a lot more than my, you know, a lot more than my novel ever got read. I'm not sure about books now, but media and social media have become incredible, you know, places for 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 the, getting this conversation started. You are truly a innovator and futurist right now because you're so ahead of the curve on technology and where we're going, which is nice. A lot of people are just stuck right now, you know, because they're just. I mean, unfortunately, COVID. And everything is just kind of frozen in their place. But you're really thinking ahead on this of where we're going to go. I mean, and it's not to, not to make fun of this because I I'm obsessed with the tech side of everything we do right now. But I feel like IBM. I know Watson was more of a media stunt, and what's funny is because we know some of the people over there. And IBM won Best AI with Watson at the Media Essence Awards two or three years ago. Actually, Joe was our voice of God at the theaters. And it was funny to me. I'm like, Watson, because we're making jokes about it. But then we realized, wait, these guys are not messing around. Watson literally, hands down from the technology to the AI to the innovation, took home AI award. I mean, they just killed it on the scoring. And so I think it's kind of interesting that you went down this road. Can we be replaced by an intelligent leader that's um, tech-driven? I think that's a Hollywood movie, Zoltan, that like Watson for 2024 presidency, you know? No, it, 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 it's fascinating. And a lot of people actually, I sometimes just give speech, international speeches just on this topic, because first off, it's a little bit threatening to politicians. And I do speak for a lot of governments. So politicians often want to hear when this will happen. And then you go on to the next thing, you know, there are about 65 billion uh, little things on planet Earth that have Siri or Alexa or things like that. Then there's this argument that, okay, in 10 or 15 years, many of them will have the intelligence level of a teenager. When do they demand voting rights or do we give them voting rights? And then that changes, you know, gerrymandering, that changes the demographics entirely because, of course, you know, certain parts of the country have huge amounts of things. And so we, we can get into incredible political, the, the arena of politics with, you know, I guess AI could be fascinating in the near-term future. But I, I think um, humans will probably slow it down at some point. When we get to a point when AI becomes almost as smart as us, I bet the military will step in and say, wait a sec, we have to make sure we don't have a Terminator scenario. And that's when it's, for better or worse, that's when I think the whole world's going to take a step back and say, are we really going to create an intelligence that's more uh, you know, intelligent than us? And I hope we do. But, you know, that's a very different philosophical question than the thing we're doing right now. That kind of goes to like military is so much more advanced in their technology. I mean, they're a few years ahead of the rest of us because we had a military client like nine years ago, SRS on the DOJ side, and they were using VR and AR and the simulated gun runners and parachute things before VR and AR was even a word in the market. And then five years later, it came out. So I know how advanced they are, but it's it's like those sci-fi movies to where they have AI robots as their 
for the army, as the men, as the fighters, you know, the drones. It's getting, I mean, people are doing drones now. There's all these movies coming up, like, like Bright on HBO. They have the drones as the police, and they're starting to put machines as soldiers. So it's weird that you said that, because I know you were joking, but I think if you look at, what is it? Was it life art? parallels life a life parallels art if we're looking at some of these things that was kind of sci-fi creative in these movies we're actually seriously moving in those directions with how advanced we are in technology so it's a little bit scary but i think it's very realistic like you said we could end up down that path to where the military does step in and say no no you can't have a army full of robots and non-destructible machines i do think i think it's a moral i think it's an ethic and a moral question I think it's a whole different conversation. Yeah, no doubt. And, you know, when I was consulting for the U.S. military recently, um, it was one of the sad stories I heard from a vice admiral was that uh, they're they're not like recruiting helicopter pilots like they used to, because now AI is taking over riding, uh, you know, driving essentially unmanned helicopters on missions. And of course, that, you know, the romance of Top Gun being a fighter pilot. Unfortunately, that's going the way of the dinosaurs because AI is taking that over. And even my wife, she's a you know, she's a surgeon. There's a good chance they warn her conferences in 15 or 20 years. AI will be able to do these things. I mean, Watson became famous for doing some of the cancer scans and being able to find different types of cancer better than the human doctors can. And um, just because it can, it knows the scans, it has scans for millions of, you know, in, in its brain all at once or in its computer base, and it can detect. So now uh, routinely doctors, when they're looking for cancer, are using AI as a way to improve their scanning ability. And, you know, <laughs> humans aren't going to compete unless we either merge with them, which of course is what I advocate, or, um, you know, they just simply going to become better than us. Do you know of any uh, tests right now, big time tests that are making progress towards this? Well, I think right now the biggest company out there is Elon Musk's Neuralink, but there's also a kernel, both California companies led by Brian Johnston. And, uh, you know, there's a, Facebook and Google and Apple also have very kind of you know, <laughs> I guess secretive companies or secretive elements that are also dealing with some of these things. And because they all realize like whoever can, you know, we have, we have, for example, just we have a lot of mid-level people in America losing their jobs. It doesn't matter if you're a taxi driver or if you're even a, a trader on Wall Street, you are going to lose your job to artificial intelligence in the next five, 10 years. Journalism, the industry is being changed because computers can now put together pieces of articles very quickly without a human looking at them and then back out in the web. Now, the New York Times, of course, isn't doing this, but other hacking sites are. And some people get their, you know, and eventually these AIs will be just as good journalists as anyone. Same thing with attorneys and, you know, losing their job. Yeah, but they can't sit in front of you. You can't tell me, I mean, I'm just going to fight the PR fight <laughs> here. I can't say, hey, Zoltan, you're my client. I, I don't need to get with the report of the New York Times or the tech writer at Wall Street Journal, the Merck, because the computer's just going to write what they find about you. You have to physically talk to you to find out where your thoughts are. That's why I want to disagree. I think if you turn your stuff into your editor, they have to edit it. Maybe an AI can, but you can't replace that one-on-one -on -one interview. Well, no, I, I, you know what? You may be able to. But it's all about views. So if it's clicks and you get more clicks because the AI can get out 20 articles on the 20 bots, smaller yeah. sites, and instantaneously, of course, it had it gets it out within mit within minutes. Whereas the New York Times journalist, you know, I, I usually spend three four weeks on one opinion piece. That you know, that's this is where AI. I'm not saying it's better. Don't get me wrong, and I'm not happy to lose <laughs> my job to a machine. But I think 
we are in some serious trouble against machine intelligence in the workplace for the vast majority. You know, PR is something that might not change much because there's such a, I think, artistic and custom component. But the, the, the idea of, let's just say, you know, being an attorney in a courtroom when you only have eight different ways to convict a client or something like that, I, I think that's where artificial intelligence can really show its colors. The same thing with coding software, the same thing with um, being a surgeon when you just need to be precise these are places, you know, it doesn't matter if you're super educated or if you're working, you know, at McDonald's. These are places where artificial intelligence and robots can make huge headway and really decimate the workplace environment. Well, it's because it, it eradicates the human error margin. Because I know there's med tech is big and I know there's a lot of software, heart surgeons and brain surgeons to where it's like GPS. If you go right, you're going to slow down a little bit, but it's going to take longer. But safe if you go left, you could get to where you need to quicker to save a life. But you may hit these roadblocks. Humans can't tell you that some of these AI and some of these med tech is, I mean, so I think, in the medical field, is this going to be so advanced pretty soon? Stock market, probably, you know, how it's calculating stuff on the financial side. I do think there are certain industries that need to adapt and blend in with tech. So it just takes away the human error margin and is quicker, faster to get where we want to go. And everybody wants to get where they want to go quicker, faster. So I don't see it as replacing a job. I see it as getting you quicker down the road to make the money to save lives, to do what you need to do to keep going further. So I think I have a little different viewpoint, because, but I'm very pro-tech. So I'm not sure if I'm just like on the bias side of tech or if I'm not being realistic. I mean, Joe, you're pretty tech savvy. You've done a lot of tech stuff. Do you think this is a kind of a deterrent from people should panic or do you think this is a helping people get further ahead by leaning on tech? I think it, it's a way of getting people ahead, honestly. I mean, my personal thoughts on that, it will free up humans to do the things that they want to do, the things they want to discover. And I think my opinion only on this, I think it's going to radically change the economy of not only one country, but of the entire world when it comes down to this, because I don't think a capitalistic society cannot survive if the people are not working every day at a job, but are working as discoverers. Yeah, no, and you know, as you may know from some of my work, uh, I have been a big supporter of basic income as a result of thinking that people's jobs will be eliminated through, you know, machine intelligence. That doesn't mean though that their lives are going to be bad because they might actually have much better lives. Instead of working nine to five at McDonald's, they might just get a small income and play guitar or go back to school. Or, you know, I've said it before, we might become a, a, a species of artists where we just do a lot more creative things and we make money on top of other things. Now, I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen, but I tend to agree with you that capitalism will be changed dramatically and because there's probably just not going to be enough jobs for human brains to be able to do. But that doesn't mean that human life is going to go downhill. In fact, it might be a huge boom of creativity of what's out there and culture for us, because not everyone's just trying to make a meal, you know, make money for a meal anymore. It gives them a chance to innovate and create in other areas that they just don't have the time to stop and breathe through right now, which I think is interesting. And I, I mean, I think I know the answer to this, but I was wondering, you're curious, Zoltan, your comment. Do you think we are behind or ahead of the curve when it comes to AI and certain technologies in the United States? 
Oh, wow. This is the worst question. This is, you know, why I ran in 2020 is because I kept telling people the, the biggest issue at hand right now is China. They are becoming the leading transhumanist nation in the world. They don't have a lot of the religious biases that we have. For example, our vice president was pretty openly against genetic editing, whereas now China has the first you know, designer babies living on planet Earth right now. And they have taken these steps ahead of us. And they've also put a huge budget to AI and tech. And don't be surprised if in five or seven years they start having patents that we haven't put out for us. You know, that's going to change the entire dynamic. I mean, they have as many engineers in something like five years' time as we will have a population. So there's really no way to probably keep up with that. And that's sad because, as, as Putin has said, Vladimir Putin, you know, whoever controls AI will probably control the geopolitical destiny of the planet. And that means uh, you better be the winner. And if we don't have a democratic nation leading artificial intelligence forward, we may find ourselves in a place where someone else is ruling over us and it may not be nice. See, this is what I always was disappointed just being in tech is everybody thinks we're so advanced. America, the great, the, you know, economics of freedom, the how advanced modern society. We are probably one of the most behind countries in technology to the rest of the world. If you look at, they used to have this big joke. What was that big joke? There is more practicing attorneys than attorneys because everybody wants to go to law school. I mean, there are so many other countries that have such outstanding technology because we see it coming in on the MEAs when we judge, it's global. And it amazes me that we have access to so much here, but we're so behind the eight ball when it comes to tech still and the adaption level. And we have been really good at welcoming immigrants and those smart, smart people would come from all over the world to start in Silicon Valley and that was great. But unfortunately that dynamic has sort of changed. So I don't know if they're gonna be coming to America anymore. And I, I see our country as sort of, you know, going downhill. I don't know how to stop that. I mean, my entire 2020 platform was said, we need to make a Hail Mary on innovation. Government needs to stand up and say, what can we do for you, Silicon Valley? How can we make sure that Asia doesn't get ahead of us? Because they tend to have a stronger work ethic than us as a, as a rule anyways. But, you know, I, I don't know if that's salvageable anymore. And we may just <laughs> end up getting our technology from, from China and other Asian countries, as well as Germans and stuff like that. You're right. I mean, our education system has not kept up with the rest of the world. And that's incredibly sad. Yeah, I think it's going to show. I don't think we're ever going to get a U.S. president in here that's going to be as tech savvy because there's so many problems we have as a country right now. But I think <laughs> adapting and I think it's an education to adapt to new technologies, which is what we sorely lack in. So I think that is always going to be a hindrance of us getting ahead. And I, you know, my big thing in COVID, I don't want to get too far into this. I know we're running short of time. We're, I think, one of the only countries, if I'm not mistaken, and Joe and I've had a lot of great conversations on the health side. We aren't adapting to the tracers yet for COVID, where other countries are. You're on your cell phone, you don't have to sign up for it. If you're around somebody within five feet, somebody has it, you get pinged. We don't have that because people here are afraid that whole big brother thing. They don't want to be on the tracing program in a pandemic, which I find a little odd. If it saves lives, we get through this quicker. I'm all for it. Yeah, no, I mean, I tend to be very libertarian on almost everything except when it comes to privacy. I think people have made privacy this holy grail and it's a complete mirage. We have given up privacy. Like it, it doesn't matter if your phone goes somewhere, they know where it is. The companies know where it is. Facebook knows where it is. The government can always find out. We may have just signed up for the tracing programs immediately and we could have saved 100,000 lives. And I, 
you know, I hate to say this, but this is where I think maybe uh, a mandate on this kind of thing should have just been put out across the entire country. Because it's, it's like I said, it's not like you can go down the street to a gas station, not be on candid camera. There's cameras everywhere. You can't avoid your privacy being taken. And people are trying to hold out on it like we're going to lose it forever. And I've said, we lost it 10, 15 years ago. We're not going to retrieve it back in some way. I argued recently in IEE Spectrum that even facial recognition was a very useful tool to help trafficked women and trafficked children. But people have such privacy issues that they don't care about the 40 million trafficked people out there just for so, so their, their face doesn't get recognized. When I'd rather save those 40 million women and children that are being abused just because we can do so now because we have this facial recognition system. But, you know, all over in San Francisco recently outlawed. Um, the facial recognition. It's just another way that COVID is beating us because we rather uphold our freedom, which is nice. Don't get me wrong. I love freedom, but not the expense of human See, lives. But that's like, like, you know, on our phones, I have an iPhone and it has a face recognition because I have the 11 Pro. And now with a mask on, it can't recognize me, which kind of makes me bad. But it was a big joke in the beginning because, well, we're in L.A., so it was a big joke. But if we get Botox with a baseball hat on, does it still recognize our face with less wrinkles? I See, I'm all for facial recognition, eyeball scans, and fingerprints, so I don't have to carry stuff with me because it's just easier. Like, But I don't know if I'm probably the only one out there who loves that. I would rather not have my phone, my wallet, or any ID, just retina scans and fingerprints for security versus putting your credit card in and having some skimmer on there. Then you have thousands of dollars of gas station bills all across, you know, the rest of the state. But I do, I do believe that it's not giving up our privacy. It's keep us a little bit safer and it's making it easier for us to move around without being hacked in. But I feel like now I'm contradicting myself, Joe, because we talked to Raphael, who was an ethical hacker. Remember he said, there's, it's not a Hacking, it's not hackers, it's you as a human being who's entering your email, your phone number, Amazon, Facebook. You're the reason why people are able to hack you because you're giving them information. So now I feel like a hypocrite because I love that whole AI portion of scans. So now I don't know. Joe was on, we just had this great conversation and made me realize we're the reason for the privacy. But then I love having the technology. I think... Um we can all agree that it comes down to a responsibility issue. Are you responsible online? I mean, it isn't a privacy issue. It's it's whether you are responsible with your own information, your own data. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And if people were responsible, then we wouldn't be worrying about privacy as much. But I think what happens is we have a small portion of people in the country that make such a big deal of privacy without actually considering what it means to the safety. Like my child walks to school I am thankful that there are cameras, that the phone is being tracked, that there are methods to know when that child has gone in the gates. And therefore, I can let you know, save two years of my life driving my child to school because now and, and worrying about parking. And I mean, what does that add up to? Like two days, full days of my actual life. The kid can walk to school. It gives me peace of mind. But everyone has to be responsible about that and also not just you know, be, I guess, like conspiracy theorists. I think that's one of the big worries we have here is that they take it to this extreme, oh, the government's going to chip you and worry about you. And it's like, no, we've always used technology to improve the standard of our lives. And uh, giving up privacy for the sake of safety is a very natural thing, I think, to do. I'm not saying give it all up, but some of these small things, certainly. I'm not going to go super sci-fi on you guys, but if it came down to that, where you had, where they could say, okay, we're going to chip you for you know, we could tell 
if you're health, everything advanced, saving lives, everything. Would you agree to that kind of technology to be chipped for health reasons and just tracking or no? I mean, I don't know if you know, I have a chip, so I would absolutely do it. And I think the chip is one of the most useful things. You're talking about not carrying things. Uh, you know, my front door is open. So I'm a surfer and I love jogging. I don't ever have to carry keys, you know, and even the fact that the car can be started with these things and then you can trade Bitcoin on. I mean, there's a million things you can do with it between passwords as well. And all it does is shrink my wallet by 30%. And, and now my, the dog can't steal the keys. The kids can't hide them. There, so there's a, I, I would, I'm glad, but I'm all about putting things inside my body to help my health, including if the government has some access to it. I understand other people are not interested in doing that, but I mean, I, I just don't think the government is the, the boogie man. I think um, the government is just a very slow, lethargic entity that doesn't always operate very functionally, but generally has my best interest at heart. See, I would get chipped. If they said, hey, we have a little chip like in some of these movies we watch, whatever that you could wave your wrist or I, I would so get chipped because I love some of the advanced technology on this. Joe, you're from Arizona, so I'm going to ask you, would you get chipped? I, I'd still have to make up my mind on that because I want to know exactly what they're getting, you know, what what kind of information that they're getting, honestly. I mean, that's just, it's just me. I And I'm not against, you know, future tech or anything else like that. Believe me, it's not that. It's just, I want to know exactly what they're getting first. And Zoltan, I will agree with you on government being a very sluggish entity. And I think, honestly, if you ran for the United States House of Representatives as a Democrat in California, I think you would get a good portion of the vote if you are able to espouse what you want when it comes to technology. I would still vote for you. You have my vote. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you. We, I might run as a Democrat next time and uh, we, we'll see. Uh, I am not very thrilled with how many cases of coronavirus there is in, um, in California. Also, I'll just tell you one of the other things that's really bummed me out is that I, you know, lockdowns are somewhat understandable. Uh, I'm not a fan of them, but locking down the science experiments, locking down universities, locking down a lot of the medical stuff that was happening has only harmed the health of our country. So, for example, you've heard that Harvard's budget was cut by 30 percent, for example. And university after university after university have had budgets cuts because of these issues. These affect medical experiments. So the next time you go in for a cancer treatment, the one that might have saved your life may not be there until the year after next. So you'll die. And that's one of the biggest challenges. COVID has done a huge amount in terms of getting vaccines quickly to fruition so that we can use it. But that's a very small piece of viruses of the human experience. There are also heart attacks, the number one killer. There are, you know, uh, Alzheimer's, there's diabetes, there's obesity, there's all these other things. And a lot of those experiments, approximately 200,000 around the world have been put on hold, or in some cases, outright canceled and just stopped slowly. And that's going to push us back a couple of years in terms of our healthcare. And that's been, in my opinion, the biggest devastation of the coronavirus is really that we're losing probably at least a full year of medical technology that we then have to catch up. And we, as you know, transhumanists are racing to try to overcome death. So if you can overcome death by the year 25th, I'm sorry, by 2030 versus 2050, you will have the ability to potentially save 1 billion lives. So every year that we lose makes a huge difference in terms of 100, 200 million lives. So, I mean, we're really... The technology has to have as much money as possible put into it. And so the doctors and the researchers, they need to go full speed. And when you lock them down and they can't get into their laboratories, we all suffer. So that's been one of the sad things. And it's not spoken about too much 
Obviously, politicians don't want to speak about it, but we all are suffering because medical technology has had to go on hold a bit. Yeah, this is amazing. Sultan, I know we don't have a lot of time. I love that you came on our show today to talk about this. Interesting talk. Thank you so much for having me. If anybody wants to reach out to you, where can they reach you at? Well, let me tell you one great thing that has happened this year, one of the best things about 2020. A feature documentary on my work called Immortality or Bust has finally come out. It's on Amazon Prime. It's actually out in a bunch of different other places. Just Google it. Amazon Prime is the main place that picked it up. And it's really fun. It's about me driving my wild coffin bus across the country doing this big stunt during 2016. It's a little bit older, but it's a, it's also my father dies in the middle of it as I'm trying to overcome death with science and technology. So it's a, it's a complicated, very sad story, but it's also a good introduction to transhumanism. So if your listeners want to find a fun, have an hour and a half to watch, it did win some awards at film festivals. So it's called Immortality or Bust, and you can find it on Amazon Prime. And other than that, if you want to just find my writings, just Google Zoltan or go to, you know, whatever subject you want. I've written about it in some of the, the many publications around the U.S. Nice. Do you, and I know we've been on lockdown, which has been horrible. Do you have anything coming up mid end of next year that, you know, in person that you'll be able to be at around the world, whether it's lectures events or anything, or is that still on hold? Oh, it's still, you know, the entire, I had a big summer tour plan of speeches and the majority of it was canceled and only put to Zoom. So now, right now, that entire, uh, sadly, as you probably noticed, a lot of exhibitions and different types of events have been put on hold, that killing people that are involved financially in those things too. But that's another story. But so I don't really have much of a schedule now. I'm just working on more essays and uh, trying to, you know, push the movement forward in the best way I can. Hopefully, once the vaccine's out mid next year, everything starts uh, getting back to normal, and I'm sure there'll be a big uptick in events. Yeah, like that. definitely. So I want to thank you so much for being on our show today. It was amazing having you on. I think we need to stay in touch with you as we advance in technology innovation. You're like such a great guest to have on the show. So this is Sarah Miller, CEO of Access Entertainment, Media Mavens Podcast. Joe, thanks again for an awesome afternoon. Oh, you're welcome. And Zoltan, thank you for all of your time with us today. Loved having you on and looking forward to having you back on again. All right. Well, thank you so much. This is interesting. Yeah, thank you so much. Thanks, Joe. Thanks for having me on. It's great. Thank you for joining us for this edition of the Media Mavens Podcast. If you don't want to miss an episode or you want to find past episodes, subscribe to the Media Mavens podcast on your favorite podcast provider. For more information, go to MediaMavensPodcast.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.